So we can get outside. I imagine we wouldn't be able to pass the boundary of the estate. Let's see. Just as I thought, a barrier. Not that I'm worried about it though. We do not leave until Malik is dust. graveyard. I thought this family built this house. How is it there are so many headstones? I think I can can help you with that, Jimmy. Ah, it's you. Been a while since we've come across you and your ramblings. (laughs) Great to see you too, Jimmy. I have spoken to Lee. He's mobilising all those not under Malak's spell. He told us of your confrontation. He has a lot of faith in you. I believe him. That is good to hear. What is your name, sir? We've met twice now, but I still don't know your name. I can't remember for the life of me what my name was before I was here, but people around here here come me Samuel. Not sure why, but it has stuck and I like it. Okay, Samuel. Nice to finally meet you, officially. What can you tell us about this graveyard? I can see here the headstones for the family that I have met. But who are all these other ones? Every... someone would go missing in this damned house, the family would wait a year, and as most of the families of the missing couldn't afford a burial plot, the family took it as their responsibility to provide a place for them to mourn. There must be over a hundred headstones here. (laughs) It's not called the lost for no reason. Is there one for Malik here? I'm afraid not. He, he's a lot smarter than that. Lee wants to get a meeting going to brainstorm ideas for the whereabouts of Malek's remains. Tell him we'll be there. In the meantime, we'll witness this story. Maybe there is a clue hidden. Stay safe, Jimmy and friend. I Do Like to Be Beside the Seaside by Alison Fay Narrated by Elizabeth Suggs
used gravestone for sale. The newspaper's small ad drew her eye. Here, read this, Luke. Roxy's red painted fingernail jabbed at the page. Luke was gobbling his fish and chips before the marauding gangs of gulls located him, whilst he huddled in the bus shelter watching the rain pelt down. It was the third day of their Halloween mini-break holiday, staying at the northern seaside town of Bridlington. It had been advertised as a fun-filled few days hanging out with the ghouls and the ghosts of the town, with attractions such as the Bridlington Ghost Walk, a pub crawl with actors dressed up as Dracula et al., and Sharon's ferry ride, which turned out to be a boat ride around the harbor at midnight with no hot coffee on offer, while suffering a biting wind nipping at every exposed scrap of skin. They had, however, managed an inadvertent reenactment of the famous scene from Hitchcock's film The Birds, due to Roxy waving her jammy donut above her head, which enticed a flurry of adventurous seagulls to attack her, sending her into hysterics. When Luke filmed and uploaded it to YouTube as Homemade Horror, The Birds at Brid, she ripped into him. Apparently, she didn't want to be a YouTube star. The trip had seemed such a good idea back in the summer, especially with both of them working extra shifts to save for the deposit on a flat. He and Roxy hadn't seen much of each other. Now, though... Luke couldn't wait to get home to Leeds and their rented apartment. Roxy had done nothing but sulk, moan, and eat since they'd arrived. Why couldn't she just enjoy herself? He was trying hard enough to have fun. He watched her forcing more greasy chips between her pink, glossy lips. I'm going to ring up about it. It'll be a Halloween thing they're doing, I bet, she announced screwing up her chip wrapper. You know it will be a fake stone with a made-up name on it. Luke eyeballed the nearest, cheekiest goal, who, on losing the starring match, flapped away. Around them, stoic couples huddled under umbrellas, swaddled in macs and plastic rain hats. The wailing sounds of the pier's ghost train to Hades blared out, though not a single human soul was aboard. Perhaps the ghosts are having a party on their own, he thought. Nor was there anyone riding the bumper cars or the vertical elevator. It was literally a ghost town. Even the ghouls had legged it for sunnier climbs. Roxy was tapping her iPhone, eyes narrowed, chin stuck out. Lug recognized that look. He sighed. Hiya, I'm interested in buying the gravestone in your ad. Yeah, right. She'd put on her posh phone voice, he noticed. Okay, yeah, 15 Havelock Street will be round soonish. She rang off and turned, beaming to face Luke. It's a bargain at a tenor, said to come straight over. Luke gazed at her nonplussed. You're kidding, love. What are you going to use a gravestone for, real or not? Roxy shrugged, her eyes blank and her hair dripping in rat's tails around her face. 
garden ornament or a party prop? We rent a terrace with a yard. He was no good. He was speaking to her retreating back. Roxy was teetering along the pier in her high hills, her Mac clinging to her. Behind her, something thin and gray slithered. Luke blinked hard and rubbed his eyes. It had gone. It's just the dirty rainwater running down the drains. That's all. Nothing else. It took them half an hour to find 15 Havelock Street, a thin sliver of a house tucked away at mist, a nest of others. Every other home on their route had a lit pumpkin glowing in the window or fake ghouls peering out mischievously, all except for number 15. It appeared derelict and therefore genuinely creepy. Hardly ideal home material, Luke joked. Roxy ignored him and knocked on the blistered paint of the front door. She'd barely spoken on the walkover. The door opened a crack. One eye and a portion of cheek appeared. One was bloodshot, the other gray and dirty. What do you want? Roxy hesitated but plowed on. We've come about the ad. Show us the tenor. A bony hand wriggled through the gap. Roxy flashed the cash, but it dangled it too far away from the bony, grasping fingers. Okay, then. You better come in. Luke didn't want to go in. His gut feeling told him not to. However, with qualms, Roxy stepped forward, and he had to follow her. Even if she could be a moody mare, he loved her. They were going to get married, weren't they? Well, one day. It's in here. The woman was wizened, scrawny, and unkempt. She pushed open the door to the front room, and there, propped against the unlit fireplace, was the gray granite gravestone of the newspaper ad. It was not a fake either. It was also the room's sole item, dominating a space bereft of any other furniture or decoration. There were marks scratched on the stone, worn and illegible. Looks old, said Luke, for want of anything better to say. This whole setup was too weird, and he didn't understand why Roxy was so keen on it. Roxy stood, transfixed, staring wide-eyed at the headstone. She walked across the grimy linoleum to touch the granite with gentle, probing fingers, whispering under her breath and shaking her head. Luke didn't know what was wrong with her. It's a good one, answered the lady of the house. We'll take it, Roxy stated firmly. Luke couldn't believe what he'd just heard. Hang on a minute, love. This is the real deal here, a chunk of stone. How are we going to move it? Well, very, very carefully and with respect, Roxy replied. She didn't have a smile on her face either. Upstairs, something thudded on the bare boards. No carpets in this house. The old woman jerked her head upwards. It looks rattled, Luke thought. What's up with her? Better hurry and take it then. The woman tugged at Roxy's sodden coat sleeve. Roxy seemed to be in a trance, staring fixedly at the stone. The sounds grew louder and more forceful. Luke realized something or someone was dragging themselves across the room. Stop, thud. 
Shuffle, slither. Stop, thud. Shuffle. Shouldn't you go and help them? He asked, staring at the scruffy house owner. The woman looked amazed. Why in the blazes would I do that? You don't need my help. He's long past that. Nothing to be done for him. Roxy was stroking the stone, apparently oblivious of the noises. Grab one end, Luke. Luke decided it was easier to go along with her than argue. He bent and did as his girlfriend instructed. The gravestone was not as heavy as he'd guesstimated, but he felt his lower lumbar crack. A low, moaning cry could be heard coming from upstairs. When they lifted the gravestone, a flurry of bugs scurried from underneath, fleeing for the darkest corners. Luke nearly dropped his burden on his toes when he spotted them. Gross. This place is disgusting. Does she ever clean? Um, Mrs. Har, are you sure he or she is okay? Y you know, upstairs? He nodded towards the ceiling. The woman turned her tiny, monkey face towards him and she shuddered at her toothless gape. Best keep moving, lad. If you know what you're good for, he's coming. Roxy was laboring as he'd never seen her do before, edging along the narrow hallway, sweating whilst heading for the doorway. Luke wanted to rest and peek up the stairs. He sensed a presence on the top landing, and he could hear a wheezing hiss, like a balloon deflating. Don't stop, Luke, Roxy said. Keep going. Above them came a thump, a rustle, and the sound of a bare foot hitting the top wooden stairboard. Nearly there, hurry, the old woman urged them on. Roxy reversed out the open front door, chipping the woodwork but keeping her grip on the headstone's stony edges. Whatever was descending the stairs was halfway down. Luke could smell fresh earth, as if the garden had been dug. Confused, he looked down at the stone paving flags in the front yard of number 15. No signs of digging, no signs of a garden come to that. The old woman urged them on like they were a pack of horses. As soon as his hill was over the threshold, the crone slammed the door on him. While Luke paused for breath, he heard the sound of long fingernails breaking the wooden door before an eldritch screech filled out. The door bulged outwards but held fast. Behind it, he heard the woman mutter, Get back, it's gone! An uneasy silence fell. Luke and Roxy slumped on the pavement's curb, gasping, both shiny with sweat. They cuddled the gravestone between them, as if it was a granite baby they wanted to adopt. A wonderful Halloween this is turning into. Luke couldn't help himself. Roxy, white face, eyes wet, hissed. I had to have it. Look, it's got my name on it. Luke followed her pointing finger. He didn't understand what she meant. He made out scrawls and faint markings where once years ago, letters had been inscribed. He couldn't see her name anywhere. Roxy shook her head. Her makeup had rubbed away. She looked both younger and older in the amber street lighting. Luke felt his stomach flip-flop 
with love. Don't mess with me, Luke. Can't you see it? It says Roxanne Stewart, born 16 September 1980, taken too soon from us, 29 October 2000. Luke shook his head and they stared at each other, confused and anxious. Behind their backs, the house stood silent once again and seemingly uninhabited. Neither of them wanted to knock and ask the old crone for answers. Are you sure, Roxy? Luke asked. In answer, she began to cry. Great heaving sobs which shook her body like he'd not seen her do in years. Not since her gran had died. They sat huddled, holding hands, encased in their own thoughts. Luke kept remembering the sound of stumbling feet and the smell of fresh earth. Who had been hiding upstairs? Or what? Looking at his distraught girlfriend, he came to a decision. We gotta get shut of it, Roxy. It's cursed, I reckon. What do you mean? Roxy looked shattered, her skin waxy and stretched thin. We've gotta find a churchyard so we can hide it amongst the other graves. He googled the nearest church on his iPhone. The trip to St. James Church was long and tiring. They part carried, part dragged the gravestone, making numerous rest stops. On the way through the town's street, they passed gaggles of tiny ghouls, vampires, and the odd pitchfork carrying devil. They were all carrying plastic pumpkin buckets, mainly overflowing with sweets. The miniature spooks crossed the street to avoid Roxy and Luke. He didn't blame them. The parents muttered, Aren't you a bit too old for Halloween? Or, grow up, Frankie and Mrs. Dracula. Any other night of the year, we'd be arrested, Luke thought. Tonight, we blend in. He longed for the flashing blue siren to come and rescue him, but no such luck. Between them, they manhandled the headstone through the long grass of St. James's graveyard and wedged it face down in a corner, leaving it lying on its own. Roxy cried nonstop. Luke had to peel her hands off the granite surface and drag her away with him. His girlfriend was on the point of collapse, her manicured nails chipped and broken, her tights lattered, and she was limping. Luke held her up on the walk back and hauled her into the bed in the chintzy room at the B&B just before dawn. He half noticed a thin, gray shape slither through the doorway after them, reminding Luke of the greyhounds his dad bedded on. When he blinked again, the shadow had vanished, and in the end, tiredness won. He was exhausted, so he let sleep smother him. Roxy was out cold, already snoring heavily and whimpering. Her face striped with her mascara and trails of snotty tears. Hours later, when he woke, the clock said 2 p.m. and the rain was jackhammering the streets of Bridlington. He stretched and kicked out, the aches in his joints reminding him of the physical labor he'd done the night before. Roxy was a hump under the flowery duvet he stretched out his hand, but froze in mid-gesture. He felt a chill coming from her body. 
tugging off the duvet, he saw her lying on her side. Her skin blanched the color of candle wax. Luke's screams brought the landlady to his door. The holiday was officially over. You've been listening to the Night's End podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Oh, I Do Like to Be Beside the Seaside was written by Alison Fay. It was originally published on The Horror Tree and as a reprint in Siren's Call E-Zine, October 2018. Her fiction has recently appeared in the anthologies Diabolica Britannica, Feral, Trickster's Treats 4, Cult Black, and Holiday Horror Book 5, Dark Halloween. Her work has also been read on BBC Radio, local radio, and on several podcasts like Ladies of Horror, and is available as audio downloads on the Casket of Fictional Delights. Her writer's blog is at alisonfay.wordpress.com. This episode was narrated by Elizabeth Suggs. For more from Elizabeth, head over to www.editingme.com. That's editingme.com. Also, her publishing company Collective Tales Publishing are taking submissions for their next anthology. Head over to www.collectivedarkness.com to submit. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. The Stuttering Man, now Samuel, was performed by Mike Ricard from the Stories of Strangeness podcast. Just search for it wherever you find your podcasts or head over to www.storiesofstrangeness.com. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. Support The Night's End on Patreon to receive bonus content and merch. Head to patreon.com forward slash Night's End podcast. Or support us by purchasing merch direct from our site at www.nightsendpodcast.com forward slash shop. And as always, stay horrific everyone. <laughs>